giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Another Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Ben McRedman, CEO of Consider and previously Senior Director of Growth at Intercom. Ben, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm obviously familiar with Intercom. Mm -hmm. What did you do before Intercom? So I joined Intercom out of high school. Oh, okay. Did you live in Ireland at the time, or did you live in San Francisco? I lived in Ireland. So I grew up in Ireland mostly. Yeah. And you relocated? Um, Yeah. So I was born in Boston. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I home. did a whole tour around the world. I was born in Boston. I lived in London, Atlanta, London, Ireland, New York, Ireland, San Francisco. And so, but I mostly grew up in Ireland. So I knew the Intercom founders from before they started Intercom. Okay. Yeah, so you know them when they were a contrast. Yeah. Good uh, knowledge there. Yeah. We have this funny year in like 10th grade in Ireland. It's like this semi non-academic year. Mm-hmm. The year before you do like big exams. And then two years later, you do big exams. It's kind of like a break in between. And one of the things you do is like these one week work experiences. And so I knew the contrast guys by reputation as doing interesting things on the internet at the time in Ireland. And I just reached out to them and said, hey, can I do my work experience with you? So we had a relationship for a few years uh, before they started Intercom. That's how we got to know them. And you were one of the first people to join Intercom outside of that team? Yeah, so I was the first employee after the four co-founders. What was it like to join Intercom at that point? So I guess when we joined, they already had a product which about 100 people used, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember that because we used Intercom, like for Intercom. And I remember it was like a few days before, a few days after, we like crossed the like 100 active in like the toolbar at the top of Intercom. And... I mean, I was very junior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was an 18-year-old, like, self-taught software engineer who probably didn't realize how junior I was. But I don't know, we were just people who cared about building a cool thing. The origins of Intercom was they ran this agency contrast, and then they had, like, a side product exceptional. And realizing that it's strange to think about this now, there was no easy place to go as someone who built software for people to see a list of your customers. Unless you're an engineer and you can go see the database. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no way you could sign in and just see a list of your customers and like chat to them and like reach out and it'd be up to date. Sure, you could export a CSV into you know Mailchimp and yeah, or you, know, you could spend the time to build or you could build that. your own dashboard, yep. which a bunch of people did, right? And there was a bunch of Rails plugins, mm-hmm. and so it was really just a tool for makers to connect with the people they were making for, and so it was fun. It was very unstructured, I think, <laughs> very loose in terms of working out what to build, kind of just what made sense, what the Mm -hmm. next thing that... Were you still sort of in the mode of we're building this product for ourselves? I think so, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think Intercom was in that mode for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think we were always like a few steps ahead of the sweet spot customer. Mm -hmm. So we saw, we were always, for the first few years, the biggest customer of Intercom. Right. And so we would see the problems before the current sort of core customer base saw them as they were growing as well. Mm -hmm. So how did your role change while you were at Intercom and... What was that like? Yeah, So I joined as a software engineer uh, working on product. Um, I did that for about two years. So I spent the first, I spent January 2012 to October 2012 in Dublin. And so that was very much working on like core product. And that's where the product team was based and grew for, you know, a long time, forever. Actually, it's still this 200, 300 people in Ireland who all build product for mm-hmm. Intercom. But then I moved to San Francisco and it was just me and Owen, the CEO, and 
Macy, who was doing like admin uh, when I moved. So it was just the three of us. And so that changed. That naturally meant I started working on slightly different things, a lot of sort of more businessy things. And that eventually grew into in sort of January 2014, starting a growth team for Intercom. And growth means like a million different things in Silicon Valley. Right. A lot of them aren't things that like personally resonated with me or I think other people at Intercom. I think we felt it was probably like very tactic driven, sort of top 10. Here's like the top 10 best ways to grow, which doesn't really make sense when you think about it. Like how can that be a universal thing? Mm-hmm. How can there be like a universal tip to like grow all sorts of different types of businesses? And so we tried to take like a step back, take a bit more of a holistic approach. And how we ended up defining it was, it took us a few years to like get to this definition, is we were like the software team solving business problems for Intercom. And then the product team was the software team solving Intercom's customers' problems. So, you know, a customer wants to send an email on a certain day, you schedule in advance. That's a problem they have. And the product team goes and researches that, understands the solution, delivers it, whatever. Uh, We'd consider then business problems that, well, how'd you buy that? How'd you learn how to use it? If the user could make all those things disappear and just sort of instantly understand and be paying for it, they would, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's not really a problem they care about. And so that was the approach we took, tried to be pretty holistic, sort of design-driven. We definitely had a numbers focus, but we'd call it more sort of data-informed than uh, sort of super data-driven, which I think was unique for Silicon Valley growth. I think it worked <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> while we were there, yeah. Well, I, w- I was curious. So in 2014 was when Intercom raised its Series B. Mm-hmm which was the first big fund, like the one before that was $6 million, which isn't yeah. to say that it's not a lot of money. But I think as onlookers and being relatively close to the company, knowing the founders and that kind of thing, from the outside, it seemed like 2014 and raising $23 million was the point where from the outside, it seemed like, oh, something big is happening here. But that was just when the growth team yeah. started. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking back, was there a turning point in the company where it was we're making something big, we're making something for everyone. I mean, I don't think I can speak for mm-hmm. all so many people uh, there now. And even at that point, I'd say there was 30, 40 people. But from my experience, no, <laughs> there wasn't a point. And I think that's pretty normal. We were just building the thing that made the next most sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always things that were broken and ways we were doing things that weren't right. And we knew that, but there's so many problems. and Right. You're kind of so involved in like building the thing that I think it's kind of hard to. Mm-hmm. And even with the focus on growth, you were doing the same thing, which is saying, "What's the next most yeah. broken thing yeah. in terms of onboarding or that's finding a really the tiring product or thing whatever?" About growth mm-hmm. is you're always working on the next most broken thing, mm-hmm. right? It's a tiring thing about optimization, I guess. Is you're never like, done. Yeah, versus like a newness, like when you're adding something to the world, I think that can be easier to stay you know, excited and positive about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As the director of growth, were you still doing development stuff? I think up until about mid-2014, I was mm-hmm. still writing code. I think that was like the last time I wrote code on the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Including now? Or are you back to writing code now? I don't write any production code. Okay. I've like written our, our little dashboard for like our active users. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we've got like some math, Okay. Um, for that. And how do you how do you feel about that? How did you feel about it at the time and how do you feel about it now? I think I taught myself to code in high school. A thing I say about that is 
I think if you look at a lot of self-taught engineers, uh, most people don't teach themselves to code by saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to build a database. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you tend to want to do something or build something that you yourself want to exist in the world, right? right. And so from my experience, people who've taught themselves in sort of that period of life uh, are pretty producty, and they do it because they want a thing to exist in the world. And so I think a thing I came to realize about myself and what I enjoyed at work was like working out what we should be building and some more sort of product pieces. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something I really miss. Uh, when I left Intercom, I took a month off between what I'm doing now. I worked on you know a few side projects. And there was a moment where I had spent kind of like 10 hours like in some sort of flow state just writing code. I was like, oh, man, I missed that. Uh-huh. <laughs> As a day-to-day job, there are a few things nicer than just writing code. There's something about it's got all the right ingredients to like have mm-hmm. like a really enjoyable like focused flow state. Whereas if you're trying to work out like what's the right way to like design this new feature, it's so ambiguous, mm-hmm. you know. Or what should the copy be on this website, right? I think things like that are a little harder to spend ten hours right. fully focused on doing. Right. And so I super, I was like, oh man, this is nice. I miss that. But the thing I learned was I'd get over like a longer period, sort of un- like dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. just doing that every day. Mm-hmm. And that's just me. It's not a judgment on it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you decided to leave Intercom. Was there something particular that you can talk about that, that made you leave? Or was it is just time? Sure. Or? Yeah, there's nothing. I'm on great terms with the people I worked with there. And so I was there for five and a half years. And Stephen, my co-founder now, and I had talked kind of never seriously, but casually about, you know, one day maybe we would started coming again. So Steve and my co-founder now ran engineering on the growth team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of built that team together. And there were, I guess, there were a few catalysts. First, we had an idea that we were excited about, which is something around email, which mm-hmm. I can describe in a second. And the second was Stephen's wife, Maeve. She's doing her medical residency in Boston here. And so Stephen was going to be moving to Boston. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a catalyst for, oh, well, we wouldn't be running this team together anymore. Is that, you know, the right time that we would you mm-hmm. know, do this? And kind of those things kind of just happened. Often hard to, like, separate, you know, looking back. I'm sure they were, like, more causal between the two of them. You know, that that happening meant we started thinking more seriously about this idea we had. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of the catalyst. And that was more it than anything wrong with Intercom. I love love Intercom. No, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if you said, well, it was the only job I yeah. ever had. And yeah. so <laughs> after five and a half years, it was time to think about what my next thing yeah. might be. Yeah, exactly. So you hit upon an idea which was exciting to you. What were the steps that you took together in coming to grips with like, okay, we're going to do this? Yeah in terms of thinking about fundraising or that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. How did that all play out? Yeah, so I guess in deciding that, hey, this was the thing, I think the first moment I chatted to Stephen about it was I sent him like a text. I was like, hey, here's an idea I've had. And I think it was like kind of an aggregation of a set of things that we would generally believe and like some recent experiences that we would have had, you know, together. And I was like, hey, look, this might actually be like a, a cool idea. Um, I sent that, he's like, oh, yeah, it's really interesting. And we started chatting about it. And I went and, like, wrote just, like, a little doc, like a two-page doc that was a little more fleshed out about what would the overall thing be. And I think it was off that that we kind of decided, you know, and just chatting about it, like, yeah, we're really excited by that. It's a big problem. 
But then we committed to hiring our replacements at Intercom, uh, which took longer than I think anyone on either side thought it would. And so it took us seven months to leave from mm -hmm. the point we just we said, hey, we're, we're leaving to do this thing. And so that gave us like a good period to really think about it. I've actually never thought about what would have been different if we had left right away, which is actually interesting. Like, what did that period contribute in terms mm -hmm. of our thinking? And then we basically spent a summer kind of building a prototype and just like writing our thoughts on things, developing opinions on things, trying some things. And you didn't take money at, at that point? No, we didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did take money at some point, which we haven't announced any details right. about who or how much and not going to yet. But um, that was enough for us to raise some money and start building a team. And so then the last year has really been turning that prototype and early set of ideas into something that is a product that uh, people could actually use. So you haven't said what, so the product <laughs> yeah. is called Consider. Yeah. If you go to consider.co now, it's sort of like just a very brief, Yeah. we believe email is broken or yeah. everyone gets too much. Yeah. And that you want to fix that problem. Yeah. So I assume that the people you've raised money from and that kind of thing know more about <laughs> yeah. your, what you're doing yeah. than that. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many companies that have tried to fix mm -hmm. email. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know what you're doing to mm -hmm. try to fix it, but yeah. like, does that worry you? Did that worry you? Did it worry the people who eventually give you money? <laughs> <laughs> We've definitely looked at the people who have failed, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I guess is everyone so far, <laughs> right? And we have our own thoughts about why, and we have our own thoughts about what is different this time. And there are things that are different, I think, about our approach and things that we think are different about actually like 2018 mm -hmm. for doing that. So the origin, if we go back to when we were deciding to leave, one of the experiences we had that kind of informed this was using Slack at work. Mm -hmm. And I would come out of meetings and I would just have like top to bottom, like my home screen would just be like notifications from Slack. Yep. You, you'd click one and you'd read it. And then it's just like, it's in a sidebar with 400 other people. Right. Right. And it's impossible to keep track of. And, and so we started thinking like, oh, there must be a, there must be a better way. And we started to realize, well, we actually like email. There's actually a lot of things to like about email. One we talk a lot about is single topic conversations. When email works best, the subject line works as like this really neat scoping device for a conversation. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that is first, it kind of keeps conversations somewhat focused. Uh, it also means they can be completed. You never complete a Slack channel, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You never complete a Slack DM. And so there's lots of these things that we like about email. And so we started thinking about, well, why are we gravitating so much towards Slack? And I think for us, it was, oh, well, Slack's much more modern. It's much more like these things we use in our personal lives, like iMessage, WhatsApp. It's much friendlier. It's more casual. It's like kind of pseudo formality with email, mm -hmm. where it seems like everyone's put much more thought into what they've written than they have. And I think that causes all sorts of weird social interactions. So that, that was kind of the thing that sparked the ideas in our head was, these problems with Slack, and we were like, oh, should actually everyone just use email instead? And I think the interesting sort of 2018, like why now email thing is that Slack has actually opened the door to fix email, is actually mm -hmm. where we ended up. And what we mean by that is if you think about an email inbox from 10 years ago, it had a mix of sort of DM-like conversations, mm -hmm. where should we go for lunch, to office at my company, right? Mm -hmm. And there's like 10 responses real fast. Or like, hey, where's that file? 
right? And now when companies have adopted Slack or similar products, those are all in Slack. Mm -hmm. And Slack is way better for those things, right? There's a long list of things that Slack is a great conversation mm -hmm. sort of model and philosophy. And what you're left with in email is actually a purer set of things. It's actually these slower things. It's much better suited now to being sort of asynchronous. And so I think that's like an interesting sort of macro change in like the world that lets email be fixed. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to design a product that's like used for almost perfectly synchronous communication and perfectly asynchronous communication, right? Mm -hmm. So we think that's like an interesting why now change. Um, I think there's other ones around technologies. I think, you know, we're building React and React Native. Even that, you know, we need to build for both. You need to build for mobile and for desktop. And that's a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we can share, you know, a bunch of code between the two, that's the big cost saving as well. And mm -hmm. so there's all these different reasons that, you know, we think it didn't work out. And so the Slack one is pointing to more of like a fundamentally hard to design a product that's synchronous, asynchronous. And then there's a bunch of, it takes people years to build email products. If you actually go and look at, say, Mailbox, which I think had some like new ideas in yep. it, which I think is often not the case with these email products, but there was a really interesting product. It took them like three years to like release something. If mm -hmm. you look at when they first raised money to like releasing something, and so um, we think a lot about sort of time and then sort of more strategic reasons why 2018 is different. So, yeah. So you've been working on Consider for a little over a year now. Say like 18 months. 18 me months, and my yeah. co-founder mm -hmm. about a year with almost exactly a year with a team mm -hmm. bigger than just us. So. You said, you know, a lot of other products have taken a long time to get. Yeah. So did you did you go into it knowing that you wouldn't have publicly released something yet? Are you on track for taking the amount of time that you expected? Yes. I think we're ambitious and somewhat restless. And so we'd love to have something out already. You know, we haven't been probably perfectly on track so far, but I think it's very much within the normal sort mm -hmm. of margin of error of like building software. Um, and so I think hopefully the next few months um, we'll have something. You alluded previously, you said, I built a dashboard that shows our yeah. customers. So you do have people using mm -hmm. your software now. Yeah, it's a small group. Mm -hmm. But we've basically got a small group of people that we've previously worked with who've like fully replaced their email with ours. Mm -hmm. You know, the first six months of this year, it was really just us using it. Mm -hmm. And there's like an interesting like chicken and egg thing here where it was hard for us to get people to use it because it like was too rough around the edges. And it was some technical rough edges, but also product rough edges that are hard to get right if you don't have feedback from people using it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we've crossed that boundary where we're, you know, we have a very small group of people, but we're able to like ship a feature and basically just text all the users and say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we can't wait to get something out in public because I think that accelerates again how quickly you can learn about things. So you haven't said exactly what the product is. You've yeah. just said that it's email. Your website doesn't have any information. Mm -hmm. Has that been intentional from the start that we're going to be private about exactly what we're doing? We're not going to show people on the yeah. way? Why? Where does like, that come from? You know, stealth and all that can be like overdone. You mm -hmm. know, like no one is waiting for us to like publish something <laughs> on our website, right? Well, they will be after they listen to this. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, yes. But for the most part, they're not right now. So you can be oversensitive to it and... You know, it can be like a little paranoid. But at this point, that we just don't have much to benefit from mm -hmm. sharing. You know, if we we're tackling this really hard problem, we think it's going to take many, many years. And we think we have, you know, somewhat, hopefully, we'll find out, um, unique insights into the problem. 
And if it's going to take a long time for us to like execute on those because it's just a sort of a technically hard area and you're not building a net new product in someone's lives, it's very different than, say, building like a base camp, right? Mm-hmm. Where someone didn't have a project management piece of software and now they do, right? We're replacing Gmail. And when was the last time you experienced a bug in Gmail? Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so the baseline there is very high. Mm-hmm. And so if it's going to take us a long time to execute on these things, we don't have much to benefit by you know, sharing a lot um, at this point. But hopefully that's going to change very mm-hmm. soon. And there have been other products in the email space, but other two where you know, they share early and then mm-hmm. they end up not delivering. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, we're trying to take a very measured approach where starting really small what we'll release in a few months is really just going to be us trying to get what we think the fundamentals of email are, try to get them right and solve like a few small problems on top of that. Mm-hmm. And try and just take a very methodical sort of patient approach and believe that, okay, you can come out, promise everything and it seems unlikely to be successful. Mm-hmm. With that approach, yeah. have you found it interesting or difficult to balance priorities and timelines and yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, particularly when you don't have something out in the world, Mm -hmm. that's definitely tough, right? And that's kind of the thing I was saying before about the chicken and egg problem about, Mm -hmm. you know, being too rough to get people to use, but getting people to use it, you know, increases the speed at which you can learn, which makes it better. And that's kind of just the same thing, right? Where we think about like, how can we accelerate our learnings and learning, you know, what we've done right and what we've done wrong. And so I think it's tough in that regard. I think we've set ourselves up in terms of team and how we've described it and kind of expectations we set where I think we're all sort of bought into, you know, it's a, it's a big idea and it's, we're excited about the future things. And so as long as we're making some progress, I think, I think we feel good about it. Yeah, I think that there's some parallels, but not having been in that situation, I, I think that I could imagine a team sort of getting sort of burdened by the fact, okay, this is a really long-term thing. Yeah. Like, and then getting in the mindset that it's okay that something take yeah. two months to yeah. do. Yeah. Because we ha- we're at this for years. Yeah. When really there was probably maybe something you could have done in a yeah. week that yeah. would be, you know, the 80% solution. Yeah. yeah. I think the one of the reasons it's not that for us is we are shipping continuously yeah. to a product that we use ourselves every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that helps if we were building some like hospital Right. project management system, right? Mm-hmm. And we super weren't the customers. I think that would be really difficult. But the fact that we've shipped like even a couple of features this week, at which we're using ourselves every day. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's a good forcing function for it, you know, not to take forever. Yeah. Particularly because, you know, I don't use Gmail anymore. I, we use our own product. And so there are things we don't like about it, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> which we experience every single day. Right. It's not, and it's not like it's a product we use ourselves where it's an app that we use once a week or once a month, it's like, for me, it's like probably 45 minutes, an hour a day um, I'm using it. And so there's like an interesting sort of motivation mm-hmm. uh, there that's like unique, I guess, to the problem. And So I'm going to ask some questions now, but I know you don't want to talk about <laughs> yeah. specifics, so I'm not looking for specific, yeah. but I'm looking for general. Like you went into it knowing this might take a year or yeah. something. To Have you started to think about, and if so... At what point did you start thinking about business model yeah. and like those kinds of things, how we're going to charge for this or whether we're going to make money or yeah. that kind of thing? So I think we've had those thoughts from kind of day zero. Mm-hmm. We'll charge for what we release, I think. I don't probably shouldn't say that so certainly, but um, <laughs> I'm like pretty certain we'll charge for what we release um, next year. We have other thoughts about business model that um, mm-hmm. I won't get into. But it's not something that you're sort of just 
you've no. just pushed off and not thought about yeah. because it's out there. Yeah. And, you know, a thing we think about email is, so email really, it's like the communication system that runs the working world. And so one of the interesting things when we talk to candidates is you almost don't have to sell them right. on the problems right. with email, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is a unique position to be in. You just say, we're trying to fix email. They're like, oh, okay, how? Right? You don't actually have to go deeper right. in the fix email right. bit, Right. And so if we can fix these problems that are so widely understood and experienced, that's just definitely a valuable thing when you tie it to like what runs the working world, right? It is actually the network that connects every business Mm -hmm. and every organization and government and everything. And so, yes, we are thinking about business model. We have not like a super concrete plan, but we know what we want to do broadly there. But also, I think, have some confidence in, well, if you fix this, it'll you know, mm-hmm. you're going to make a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I ask a lot of the guests this question, so I'm not just asking yeah. it because I'm, how do you think about competition? Mm-hmm. And I think it's particularly relevant, cause, you know, I often ask in terms of like product roadmap and mm-hmm. the, are you like trying to, you know, compete, especially as you're getting started out. But with email in particular, you have these big players who have mm-hmm. brought the cost of email yeah. to zero, essentially. Yeah. So how does competition factor into what, yeah. what you're trying to do? So say there's two big incumbents in email, right? There's Microsoft and Google. Mm-hmm. And you've got, so you've got Outlook and Gmail. Honestly, they're both good products. They, they actually just are. Um, the thing I think a lot about, though, is copying is harder than people think it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I was obviously I was pretty young, so I don't have any direct knowledge of this, but Microsoft was good at copying in the 90s, right? And today, the great copier is Facebook. You know, I have a lot of respect for both those companies, and they do a lot of original things, but... They're also, mm-hmm. you know, aggressive in, you know, in their markets, their respective markets. And, but it's very hard. Most people can't do it. Most people can't pull it off. Most companies, most organizations, I think when copying something requires kind of a shift in like world perspective, I think it's very difficult. And so I think we have, first of all, like a very different world perspective on what is email than your outlooks and your Gmails. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very hard for those products to adopt sort of new ideas from the market, I think, because of that. It's very hard because Gmail has a billion users. So mm-hmm. rolling out any change to a billion people is super difficult. Probably 900 million of them are going to mm-hmm. you know, hate <laughs> any change that happens. So that's like one thing we think about. In terms of like the cost, um, I think it just comes back to it's such a high leverage thing in a company or organization, communication. And it tends to be, you know, pretty high on the list of, you know, the most used communication tool in companies. It's, you know, probably number one or number mm-hmm. two. And so I think if you can make that better, I don't think the fact that, you know, what does G Suite cost a year? It's like $50 I a year. I think it's $50. Um, for like the, the bottom plan. And that obviously includes docs, spreadsheets. And so mm-hmm. what's the percent of that that's like allocated to email? I don't know. But I'm pretty sure you can capture more than that if you actually can fix these problems that we all understand and don't have to explain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Slack is more expensive than that. Yeah, for sure. Right. Slack you know, starts at, I think, $7, $8 a month, mm-hmm. goes up to, I don't know, $20, 30 50 mm-hmm. for this, the super enterprise things. And so I think that's a, a great example. I think you can look at all sorts of products where, like Airtable, I don't know yeah. what their pricing is, but I know that's more expensive than mm-hmm. $50 a year, which includes Google Spreadsheets, right? Well, thank you for coming into the yeah. studio. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing as much as you could. Yeah. I really appreciate it. 
And I wish you the best of luck as you sort of enter what sounds to be the final phase before some more public releases. Yes, Yes. thank you for having me. If people want to follow along with you or find out more, or I know you're hiring too. We are hiring engineers in Boston and product research in San Francisco, probably other roles next year. And so they should go to consider.co. Some point soon we'll have a like email form where you can sign up to hear when we have more to share. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. And if you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.